Hello and welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing UKSG, a podcast exploring journeys in scholarly communications. In each episode, we hear from someone inspiring from the knowledge community and ask them to tell us about their career journey and what has motivated them along the way. Hello, my name's uh, Joanna Ball and I'm delighted to welcome Daniel Hook to the podcast today. Daniel is CEO of Digital Science, uh, co-founder of Symplectic, a research information management provider, and also of the Research on Research Institute. A theoretical physicist by training, he continues to do research in his spare time with visiting positions at Imperial College London and Washington University in St. Louis. Welcome, Daniel, and thank you for making the time for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here, Joanna. Thank you for the invitation. Um, as you know, that the purpose of these podcasts is to um, highlight individuals with inspiring and interesting career stories, and yours is certainly one of those. Um, would you like to start by sharing with us how you got to where you are today? I can certainly try. It's uh, I, I always say it's it's my career is something that has happened to me rather than something I have planned. Uh, I started at Imperial in 96 as an undergraduate uh, and then went on to do a, a master's degree and a PhD there. Um, and while I was attempting to become a professional physicist, um, this whole other thing happened to me. And in some sense, I'm still waiting for that moment where I can go back and be a physicist. <laughs> Um, and so uh, I, I suspect that won't happen now. And I suspect that that bus has has passed me by. However, I, I have to say I'm not unhappy with where I am. It's it's turned out to be a, perhaps in certain respects, a much more interesting uh, career than I would have otherwise had. So I guess what happened to me was that um, during my during my PhD, I. Uh, wasn't fortunate enough to get funding for my PhD. That's quite difficult to achieve in certain areas of theoretical physics. I think if you want to be more mainstream, it's possible. I certainly had a couple of funded offers. But in the area that interested me, um, it was something that wasn't extremely fundable. I wanted to do something called geometric quantum theory. Uh, and... Uh, the big thing to be funded at the time was string theory. So I made quite a selfish choice. I decided that, and I guess it was one with also with some self-knowledge. I know that I enjoy doing things and I know of a particular type. And I know that if I was going to spend a great deal of my life, you know, the following three to five years uh, as as it would have been if it had been funded um uh doing a specific topic i really needed to be a tip topic that i was super interested in uh and i and so for me i think i made the right choice and i decided to fund the phd myself and during my master's degree i had met uh, a colleague who owned his own small business. And he noticed that I was actually quite a good coder. And so he invited me to join his startup uh, as a coder. And he paid me for two days a week. And I spent the other three days a week doing my PhD. 
Um, and so I kind of had early exposure to this whole kind of startup environment. Um, and sadly, within a few months of starting my PhD, uh, this nice little company that I joined got acquired by a much larger company. And that was part of the kind of early 2000s deregulation of telecoms. There's a lot of money sloshing around in the market. And I experienced being taken over. I experienced going through this uh, change of culture and change of approach. And I experienced the, a kind of a different way of working than, than the academic approach. And it was a period where I where I learnt from what was still now even this in this larger company still a relatively small company. Uh, I I learned kind of what works and what doesn't work in startup world. And about three years into my PhD, which had by this time become kind of formally part time, and in the end it took me seven years to do the PhD. Uh, three years into the PhD, I thought actually there's an opportunity to do my own startup with my office mates at Imperial. We'd seen an opportunity where we knew how to write software. Each of us had some programming during our previous degrees. Uh, and someone at Imperial approached us from the Faculty of Medicine and said, would you be interested in writing a piece of software for us? And so I brought this back to my office mates and I said, look, there's an opportunity here. We could do something. They were a little bit closer to the end of their PhD than I was mine. And so we decided to have a go at it. And over the ensuing two or three years, we actually made something of a success of doing a kind of a, a software consultancy, if you would. Um, and I think we end up writing about 15 pieces of software for different departments and different pieces of Imperial. Um, and so it was, it was a, a really kind of was high stress at some points, but it was a really fun environment. We were, we were doing some quite cool stuff. We were learning, we were understanding how institutions worked and we were understanding some of their challenges. And through doing that work, we came up with a piece of software that, uh, met the needs of academics in keeping their web pages up to date with lists of publications. Uh, it was a cool little tool originally called Symplectic Publications. And we had this concept where you would be able to put in a set of search terms uh, and then we would go off to places like PubMed and Web of Science and pull down candidate publications that you might have written. And that really simple mechanism then of saying, yes, those are mine and no, those aren't mine. And then remembering that for the academics so that they didn't need to fill out many lists of different publications in different formats. But we fed that to lots of other systems in the inside Imperial uh, turned out to be really popular. Um, and that was really the genesis of, of how things kicked off by 2006 we were running that across Imperial. In 2007, we worked with Imperial to put uh, that into what was back called back then RODCM, which the, was the research outputs data checking mechanism for the REF. And we were the, the data feed for that. We did some great work with some colleagues at the library at Imperial to integrate with DSpace. 
and so by mid 2007, we had this really interesting piece of software that was meeting a number of different academic needs and uh, was a real time saver for academics, which was very much where we were coming from. We'd noticed all these processes that we'd had to go through as part of our PhDs, which seemed kind of time consuming. And so we went to the ARMA conference, the Association of Research Managers and Administrators, back in 2007. And we showed our piece of software off and we did a talk and we had lots of people talking to us at the conference and then nobody said anything to us. We came away from the conference and we thought, OK, is this such a good idea? We're not sure. But of course, it was the REF return year. And so as soon as the REF was in, all the data was in, in about November, we then started getting lots of people contacting us and being quite interested in the software. And in 2008, I would say 2008 was kind of our big year in that we got we went from one client with Imperial to um, maybe uh, seven or eight clients by the end of the year. Uh, and that transition in that year was really fascinating because we went from having um, people say to us at the beginning of the year, you know, you, you only have Imperial as a client to you only have Imperial and the University of Cardiff as a client. You only have Imperial Cardiff and Keele. You only have Imperial Cardiff, Keele and Oxford. You only have Imperial Cardiff, Keele, Oxford and Leeds. And then to you're growing rather quickly. Can you handle this? So either you don't have enough clients or you have too many clients. And we never, never experienced a phase where we had the right number of clients. And that was completely fascinating as a, as a phenomenon as you're growing a small business. Um, but at the same time, we had met at the Armour Conference, um, a guy called Tom Letcher. And Tom was a representative of a company called Evidence. And those of you who have been around in the UK research management and research information scene for long enough will know that Evidence was a company spun out of University of Leeds a few years before that, who was doing really interesting reports to help research directors understand their portfolios. And Tom went back to his uh, team in Leeds and said, you know, these guys at Symplectic have something really interesting. And uh, the guy who was running evidence was a man by the name of Jonathan Adams. And Jonathan didn't necessarily believe Tom. He said he didn't think that what we were doing was possible. And so he sent down another colleague, Karen Gurney who was ex-Imperial. <clears throat> so she came down to Imperial and saw us at Imperial. And we gave her a demo of the software and she went back up to Jonathan and she said, no, Tom is right. They can do what they say they do. And so we had as a team, we went up and I think we met in a in a hotel in Peterborough. So we kind of went halfway and we met up and we agreed that we would bid for some of the Hefke work to define uh, the RAF. And so I think it was mid two thousand and eight we bid and won the uh, ref bibliometrics pilot work which exposed us to 22 other institutions in the uk working closely with them pulling all of their data together and it put us on the radar of a little company that some of you may have heard called nature publishing group and i remember being up at jonathan's for a uh, dinner near christmas and uh, someone from Nature 
giving me a call and saying, would I like to come in and give a demo? And so on a, on a very cold morning in January, I turned up at Crinan Street uh, in London, which was the old nature office, and giving a demo of uh, the Symplactic software to a guy called Dan Penny, who introduced me very quickly to someone called Timo Hane. And they were interested in uh, creating this this uh, new startup. They didn't tell me this at the time, but very quickly uh, things turned in early 2009 to a discussion of uh, this strategic project they had to bring together a set of uh, early stage companies to do innovation at nature. And I thought this was extremely exciting, re really interesting approach. Um, and I went away from this meeting kind of quite interested, but very busy at the time because we were trying to grow our company. Uh, I think I'd already been contacted at that stage by our first non-UK potential client, which was going to eventually become University of Auckland, uh, because, of course, you want your clients in a close geographical area. So the next logical place beyond the UK was to definitely go to New Zealand. But that's another story. Um, and I heard no more from nature. And then I was at a conference in Prague in May. And I was walking down Vaklovska in the centre of town uh, in, in Prague. And I looked on my phone and there was an email from, from Dan at Nature saying, we'd like to invest in your company. Uh, and I went back to the team in London. We talked about it and we decided to take the investment. And it took us a little while to then get our stuff in order to do that. But on the 7th of December 2010, we were upstairs in the Nature boardroom signing initial investment into Symplectic. And we went downstairs to the drinks evening to launch um, digital science, what was then digital science. Um, and so, I, I mean, that's kind of the the, the genesis story in, in in some sense of of our experience, or certainly my experience of, of working with digital science and working with nature and working with the kind of scholarly communications community. Uh, and then I, to keep things simple, then over a period of about three to five years, I ended up working much more closely with, with digital science and eventually taking on a role in digital science and uh, in 2015 becoming CEO. So that was the, uh, that was basically where, where I got to, how I got to where I am today. Thank you. That's uh... A very fascinating history of uh, of symplectic, and it's strange to think actually well, it wasn't that long ago that it didn't even exist, and of course now it plays such an important role um, in in the the ecosystem. I was also really fascinated by you know the fact that you said that your career happened to you rather than you making it happen, because um, certainly from the outside that's you know you you're somebody who's um, really really driven and obviously have, has a, a real drive to to succeed and, and to achieve so um yeah just just reflecting reflecting on that um but you you still today juggle a number of roles uh, and wear different hats so you're actively researching your ceo of uh, of digital science you're involved with um the research on research institute 
how do you manage all of those different roles and do you you know do you bring different qualities to to each one it's a really interesting question i guess uh one thing i would have, I, I don't do any of them as well as i want to do them um uh and i i think the secret to doing any of these things is I work with the most amazing people. I've, I'm tremendously fortunate. The people where I work with at Rory are absolutely amazing. They are world class and I have no clue why they continue to tolerate me. But they are they are really wonderful people. And I, and I have to say that my research collaborators, again, I, I have the privilege of working with amazingly talented people. Um, and again, I have no clue why they why they continue to put up with me. Um, so I, I'm blessed also with a with a wonderful senior team at Digital Science and a wonderful team in general. I, I just work obviously more closely with the senior team. Um, it's uh, a really great group of people. Uh, I mean, you know, the, they they always say there's the old adage of one should always hire people smarter than you are. Uh, if the, if there's any kind of point to success in my career it's working with people who are much better than i am i've i've been tremendously fortunate in the people i've been able to work with and i think that is central to being able to wear multiple hats and do multiple things um i guess if there's anything any kind of defining characteristic that i have it's that i'm i'm kind of curious i'm interested uh i want to know about things and um, I like being creative, but I understand the need for some structure. And so I th I'm probably not at the optimal intersection of those things, but at any given point in time, if someone points out to me that I need to be less creative now and I need to focus on delivering something and I, and I agree with them, then I'm able to make that transition. Um, or if someone says at some point in time, maybe maybe we're not being creative enough, we're being too numbers focused or we're being too structure focused, we just need to be a little bit more creative. I'm able to make that transition. And um, I think I think that is a useful capability in the market that we work in, because I think academia is tremendously creative and not just the academics themselves, but the people who support them, the ecosystem around academia. Um, it is tremendously creative, but given there's so much public money in the system, we also all have a responsibility to be careful about how we're spending that money. And so you do need to be numbers focused you do need to be structured and so i think you know the the thing where i have spent most of my life this intersection between structure and creativity is i think the thing that probably a lot of us have to uh think about and and really commune with in making sure that we're we're keeping ourselves honest um the one the one thing I would I would finish this with is I think I would say that um, the thing that I wrestle with most is context switching. I find context switching does take a lot of energy and increasing energy with time, and I don't think that's I, I would perhaps charitably say I don't think that's an age thing. I think it's a depth thing. As you know more and more about areas, pulling yourself out of the detail 
and enabling yourself to get into the detail of a new area, I think is is difficult to do. Um, and I certainly perceive that's something that I, I need to work on. And I need to think quite carefully about the level of detail I need in any of these areas to make a, a good uh, contribution, which others will find helpful. That's really interesting. Thank you. I think yeah, there is that tension of how much do you need, needing to know about a lot of different things to a certain level um, and actually not going um, not going too deep um, because otherwise you can't do it do a role so, like uh, CEO where you do need that really broad um, really broad perspective could, could I ask you what you what's the most rewarding thing um, about your your role now it's difficult because I have so many facets and I I, I do enjoy that kind of multifaceted nature of what I do um I always used to say when I was doing my PhD the thing that kept me going on the PhD was the fact that I was doing this this business stuff on the side and whenever I was doing the business stuff the kept the thing that kept me interested and kept me going was the fact that I was doing this academic thing so in in uh very geeky reference here in the way the kind of electromagnetic wave propagates it propagates in space through you know the magnetic field causing an induction which makes the magnetic field work which causes induction which makes the magnetic uh, which makes the electric field work for me that's a little bit my experience i i, I do the work i do the um the professional the corporate stuff and, and i i want to be doing the academic stuff and then when I'm doing the academic stuff, I want to be doing the corporate stuff. So I, I keep myself going. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the thing that I guess I most enjoy about my role, it, it has to be working with the team. As I said before, we have a, such a wonderful team. I have a set of extremely generous colleagues. And I mean that in a broad sense. They're generous with their knowledge. They're generous with their time. I The way I experience my team is that they are very... They're driven, but they're also mission driven. They want to make a positive difference in the world. And this probably sounds a bit clawing or cliched, but but that is really the way I experience the company. Uh, and that is that is a very nice place to be. Uh, uh, so I, I, th I think that's the thing that I enjoy most. It, it's, it's working with the team. It's collaborating. Mm, thank you. And and my next question, I suppose, perhaps relates to that. You know, what what achievement are you most proud of in your career to date? So, where do you feel you have made a difference the most? I was discussing this with a colleague the other day. I was saying I've, I've been in this business twenty years, and I don't really feel that I've done anything. Um, it's not because I haven't wanted to do something. I think the thing that you could say that, not to be immodest, but I, I guess the thing that you could say that I've I've done was at the stage that I was working with Symplectic, I helped to define how research information systems work in the UK. I think that would be certainly something that I'm proud to have been part of. It wasn't me on my own, for sure. 
uh and i and you know it was definitely at the very least it was the rest of the symplectic team um writ large it was a broader movement that was happening at that time um i think on a on a kind of a trivial well that's not a trivial level the thing that amuses me most is that when we went into australia uh i remember writing to someone at the arc at the time because they had this fantastic categorization system called the australia new zealand fields of research codes and this is based on the Frascati manual to be technical for a second uh but it's a three-level uh, categorization system of academic subjects and i asked the arc whether we could put this into elements symplectic elements the the, the software as the one of the categorization systems we use and i have a nice email from the time uh, saying yes sure you can do that and there's no money it's the thing that we make available as the arc and that's great so that was in the piece of software and then later we started working with the uber research team and we launched the dimensions product and we needed a categorization system and i said well there's this really wonderful one that we use in australia and that's become quite popular with symplectic clients uh shouldn't we use that in dimensions and the uber research team said yes that sounds like a good move so we ended up putting that into uh dimensions and now fast forward you know eight years um the uk government works with uh dimensions on various projects and they use the australian categorization system in the analysis that they do uh, because it's in dimensions and so in some sense we've been responsible for propagating this fantastic systems that, that the australian ha have come up with with new zealand australian new zealand system um across the world because everybody who uses dimensions is really using a system that the australian and new zealand governments came up with you know in the in the late 90s early 2000s and so this kind of if you will this reverse propagation of of uh knowledge through our software is quite fascinating to me and i think that's uh I don't know if it's a big achievement, but it's it's an amusing achievement. Yeah, I, I really like that actually that it's that you're achieving by, I suppose, bringing you know, bringing knowledge together, sharing best practice uh, across the sector. Actually, it's not necessarily something that you are doing yourself, but it's about pulling different elements together uh, to get the best results. Absolutely. Um, if if you could go back to uh to the to the start of your career and give yourself a piece of advice now knowing what you know and le having learned what you've learned what would that be one of my collaborators always says to me he said i know the mistakes i've made and i can repeat them exactly and i think that there's a certain part of me that probably wouldn't change too much I think the thing that I've, and colleagues who've worked with me, I mean, may fall on either side of the of the uh, line on this one. I would say the advice I would give to myself is move earlier. Stop trying to be quite so sure of what you've got before you 
move forward with it. I mean, we had at Symplectic in the early days, we had a really workable system in 2004 that we could have taken outside Imperial and we could have tried to commercialize and work with other universities on. And had we done so, the symplectic story might have been quite different. It might have been, we might have been able to make a bigger impact. We might have had uh, less in the way of competition because we'd moved earlier. Um, and instead being a little bit academic about it, we wanted something really well formed and really good before we went and showed it to anybody. And so I think there is a part of me that would, would advise myself to uh, to be a little bit more confident and a little bit more, more uh, proactive and to have uh, the courage of my convictions and, and actually put stuff out a little bit earlier than I have. So um, that said, I, I, even hearing myself say those words, I think of all the things that we're working on now and I think they all they, they all need to be better before we show them to people. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think it would be a piece of advice I would probably ignore if I gave my gave it to myself. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we're all all like that. But so to be less of a perfectionist and be a little bit more, more brave—that's kind okay. of what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. And then and and then the final question: um, You are clearly an incredibly uh busy person uh, juggling these different roles and a ceo and um, what do you do to create balance in your life and, and to relax this is going to be a really disappointing question i completely fail to get work-life balance um and at one level at least i'm honest about it right <laughs> um i think I, I mean, I get energy. I'm, I'm naturally an introvert, but I do get energy from talking to small groups of people or talking to people one on one. I really enjoy that. And so for me, there's a there's a social life in the office. There's a social life with friends. Almost everybody I know works in our industry. And so it can quite often feel like work. But actually, these are really wonderful people that we all have the, the privilege to work with, um, not just inside digital science, I mean, more generally across the space. So I I get a lot of energy from, from talking to people uh, and from uh, listening to the kind of challenges they have, working what they're working on right now. Um, and I guess for me, that's I, I don't really consider that work. That's that for me is much more of a kind of an intellectual pursuit or an interest. And I am interested in people and I like to know people are doing OK. So I guess over the last few years, I, mean, I, I would observe that we've all probably had a bit more blurring between our professional lives and our personal lives with COVID and the way that that's forced us into working. So while I would admit to being really bad at the work-life balance thing, I, I this is a thing I probably shouldn't admit I'm going to, I, I quite often come to work on my days off because I want to see the people. Um, and I really enjoy seeing the people. And so when I have a day off, 
I, I might come up into London and, you know, go shopping or go and see a museum or something like this. But I will also quite often pop by the office and say hi to people. And I won't take necessarily any meetings because that's what being on holiday is, not necessarily taking the meetings you don't want to take. Uh, but actually seeing friends and seeing colleagues, I, I, I like that. Um, and... Um, Yes, yeah, so, so uh, I I probably do very badly at this, but uh, but I, I I do enjoy talking with with friends and, and talking to the team, and and for me that is that is a rest and that is relaxing. Mm, thank you for being so honest, and I I don't think there is a right answer to to that question, um, but I think you've you've highlighted that the importance that you the, the social aspect of work that and ha just how important that is for for so many of us and I'm glad to hear that on your days off you don't uh, have meetings at least and it is more you know the conversations with, with your team and just catching up with them so that, that that's good to know yeah well, you have to draw um, I just want to sorry what did you say you just have to draw the line somewhere right I absolutely absolutely yeah um, well, uh, thank you, Daniel, for making the time to um, to, to speak with me today. Um, I really appreciated your your insights um, and your openness as well. Um, and it certainly kicked off a lot of uh, reflections for me. I'm sure our listeners will also find it a really interesting and, uh, and useful podcast. So thank you. Thank you. UKSG exists to connect the sector and encourage the exchange of ideas it brings together the information community of librarians, publishers, intermediaries and technology vendors. If you know someone whose career journey would make for an interesting episode, please get in touch with UKSG via Twitter. Please like and share our podcast to help us support those in our community who are just starting their journey. And subscribe to the channel to keep up with future episodes.